Cole, you recently became Orthodox. And of course, we're delighted that you became Orthodox and joined our community. But I want you to imagine, if you will, what it would have been like if in order to become Orthodox, you first had to become Greek. First of all, you'd have to start smoking. <laughs> A lot. I don't care if it's bad for your health, it's just one of the sacrifices you'd have to make. Secondly, learn how to play the game tavli, which in the English world is known as backgammon. And you need to know it so well that you could play blindfolded, because with all the smoke you might as well be blindfolded. Third, you'd have to relearn how to drive. You know, your American driver's ed would not be any good here. You'd have to develop a healthy disregard for the lines that are painted on the road, and you'd have to become very good at maneuvering your vehicle within one foot of other cars, mopeds, and quite possibly goats. And speaking of goats, you'd have to incorporate large amounts of feta cheese, olive oil, and lemon juice into your diet. And then you can throw a little oregano in there just for good measure. So obviously I'm kidding. You don't have to become Greek to become Orthodox. But St. Paul was not kidding when he wrote this letter to the Galatians. Because in the early church in Galatia, there was a group of conservative, legalistic fundamentalists who was telling the people who wanted to become Christian, they had to become circumcised first. In other words, they had to become Jews before they would become Christians. And St. Paul writes to the church in Galatia to tell them that this is simply not correct. It's not true. You do not have to become a Jew first before you become a Christian. And he goes on to say that we're not saved by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. Now, you may be wondering, what relevance does that have for us today? Because no one around here is telling us that we'd have to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. And we know that you don't have to become Greek in order to become an Orthodox Christian. So what relevance does that have for us today, you may ask? Well, it actually has a lot of relevance. About 15 years ago, a sociologist by the name of Christian Smith did a bunch of research on the spiritual life of teenagers. And later on, he followed them into their young adult years. And he found that a lot of them adhered to an understanding of spirituality or the spiritual life that he termed moralistic therapeutic deism, or MTD for short. And one of the tenets of this set of beliefs that these young people have is that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and other world religions. Just be a good person. Totally not correct. If being a Christian is just about being a good person or being a nice person or being a morally upright person, it's completely irrelevant. You don't need God. You don't need Christ. You don't need his church to try to be a morally upright person. You can be an atheist and be a morally upright person and follow a certain moral code, or at least you can try to convince yourself that you are, which is what we usually do. So... Where does that leave us? It leaves us to try to understand why God gave us the law and what 
it means for us now. In the letter to the Galatians, St. Paul makes the case that from the very beginning we are saved by faith. He goes all the way back to Abraham, and he says, Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He believed the promise that God gave him. But, as we know from the history of the faith, that promise was not enough to keep the Jewish people, the Israelites, from doing some crazy things, like making golden cows and worshiping them. And so it became very clear to God that they needed some help, that it wasn't enough to remember the promise to Abraham. They needed some guidelines, they needed an aid, they needed something, some sort of structure to guide them in their life, and so he gave them the law. Well, as it turns out, nobody could keep the law. Nobody. So what did he do? He sent his son to do what no other human being could do. And so Jesus Christ became the first and only human being to keep the law perfectly. And in doing so, and then through the mystery of his death and resurrection, he completely transformed our relationship to the law. He did not abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. By keeping it perfectly through his teaching and giving us his commandments. And so now, where does that leave us? We still have the law. But our motivation to try to keep the law, our relationship with the law, is completely transformed. No longer is it something that we do out of fear and out of necessity. It's something that we do out of faith with a sense of possibility. Because Christ has transformed the law from a list of prohibitions to a series of invitations. They are invitations into the life that he is willing to give us if we follow him. And so, brothers and sisters, what does it mean for you practically? It means that when you hear someone emphasize that being a Christian or being a person of faith is just about being a good person, doing good deeds, going to the soup kitchen once in a while to feed the poor, you'll know that that's not true. It's not correct. There's so much more to being a Christian. There's so much more that God wants for us than simply being morally upright people. What does he want for us? He wants us to be cleansed. He invites us to be purified. He invites us to be illumined. He invites us to have a direct connection with him. And the only question is, how much do you want it? And how far are you willing to go?